There is a phrase often quoted that goes something like this. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Now, the purpose of this verbiage is to incite courage within followers of Christ, that they might not just proclaim Jesus with their lips, but reveal him with their lives. The only problem is that there are two detrimental contradictions within this little piece of advice. One is that good news must always be shared with words, and two is that our actions preach the opposite of the gospel all the time. Because really, this quote does more to excuse our shame, laziness, and impassivity than it does to call us to boldness, action, and authenticity. Basically, what it leads us to thinking is, if I live a good life, people will believe Christianity, which takes works-based salvation to its furthest extremity. Because now, you're not just trying to save yourself by good deeds, but all humanity. However, both are an impossibility. You see, your goodness can't save yourself, and it can't save anyone else. What everyone else needs is what you needed too, and that is the proclamation of the good news. That is the spoken gospel. That God was open while we were hostile. That only because Jesus was broken is salvation made possible. That the power of death was stolen when he conquered the grave's obstacle. And that it is by grace our hearts were woken and by grace will be made incorruptible. That is the news that's good even when we are not. So may our lips never fail to preach what our lives constantly fail to model. Let us preach the gospel at all times, necessarily as a spoken gospel. Good morning, GBBC. This is the day the Lord has made. I bring you greetings on today, y'all. I believe it's Sunday, August 23rd. Somebody check that for me just to verify. This has been the fastest year of my life, and I'm sure you can testify the same. I'm Pastor Brown, just extending greetings to you, welcoming you to our time of preaching. Our praise team has already set the atmosphere. Prayer, scripture, greeting. We're ready to go with a nice video in between. We're ready for the word. Uh, Pastor Pierce drew your attention to Romans chapter 1. As you find Romans 1, we're in the midst of a series entitled Reimagine. As we go through this shelter-in-place pandemic reset mode, we have to reimagine what our church will look like. Uh, no, we're not ready to re-enter, but we need to get ready before we get there. And so these series of messages are designed to help us prayerfully think through what it's going to look like going forward. Romans chapter 1, I want you to make your way to verse 8. I'm going to read a whole bunch of scripture, and I'm going to give you a short sermon. Uh, I went a little hard last week, amen, so this is going to be kind of a little lighter, but this is all breaking up that ground so that we can receive what the Lord has for us. Romans chapter 1, verse 8, from the Christian Standard Bible, here is the word of the Lord. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported all over the world. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son, that I constantly mention you 
always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at least succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often plan to come to you but was prevented until now in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm obligated both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but it is the power of God because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Beloved, we want to preach from uh, this fourth installment in the series. I believe it's the fourth one. It may be the third. Don't hold me to that. Here it is. A gospel-centered church. A gospel-centered church. Heads about, eyes are closed. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to share together. We thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning. We thank you for your mercies that greeted us this morning. We thank you for the fellowship that we share, yea, virtually. And we give you praise, glory, and honor, Father God, that sheltered in place did not impact the church to where we can't meet together. So, Father, we're still gathered. We're in our homes. The church is still open. We're still worshiping, and you are still being glorified. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Let everyone say amen. Come on, say amen. Type in that comment section, amen, amen, gospel-centered church. Here is the big idea for today's message. A church void the gospel really isn't a church. A church void the gospel really is not a church. As God has been working on me during this reimagining season, I found myself revisiting the tenets of the gospel. You know the gospel, don't you? Or do you? The gospel is the central theme of Scripture. It, it is the foundation by which the church has been established. It is who the church is, and it also is what the church does, the gospel. The gospel is the message that God sent Jesus Christ, the Messiah, from heaven to earth, and in Jesus' coming and dying, he paid every debt and fulfilled every demand to save our souls. The only response required is to believe and to receive, to believe he is who he says he is and receive his gift of salvation by grace through faith. And beloved, as I reviewed and rejoiced in what the gospel means to me and to you, I was convinced that oftentimes the gospel takes a back seat to other stuff. So as we reimagine GBBC, I want to ensure that our church and her ministries are immersed in the redemptive power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Paul to this blossoming church in Rome, writes about his joy for their success as a ministry. Look at verse 8. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. In essence, Paul is letting them know that everybody is talking about y'all. Y'all have been introduced to the gospel and you've responded appropriately. God has chosen to bless their faithfulness. And Paul cannot wait to make their acquaintance. Watch this. News of your faith is being reported. That's what Paul said. Your faith is being reported, not the size of your church. Not the multiplicity of their ministries. Not even the pleasing personality of their pastor. Your faith in Jesus Christ is being reported in all the world. Church, if we want to be known for something, what better to be known for than our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Give your neighbor a high five and tell them, be known for your faith. Amen. Be known. Be known for your faith. Type that in the chat room. Be known for your faith. And so as the text is moving, it gets good to Paul. So much so that Paul calls God himself as a witness for his affection for them. Look at verse 9. Paul says, God is my witness. There it is. Whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son that I am constantly mentioning you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Let's stop right there. The exemplary church in Rome has grown, causing the world at that time and place to take notice. Y'all, Paul was elated. So watch this. Paul wants them to know a few things. First of all, Paul says in verse 9, I've prayed for you constantly. Get that down, beloved. Paul says, I've prayed for you constantly. He said, God is my witness whom I serve with my sincere spirit in telling the good news about his son that I am constantly. Somebody type constantly. Constantly. That doesn't mean all he did was pray. But what it does mean is they were always on his heart and mind. And every chance he felt led the unction, he would call the name of the church in Rome. But not only Paul wants them to know that I prayed for you constantly. Secondly, he wants them to know that I long to see you fervently. He is looking for an intimate encounter. Look at what he says. That if some, that it is, that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to see you. For I want very much to see you. Paul was longing for a fervent and intimate encounter with the believers there in Rome. See, this is why I know it's right for us to be gathered together, gathered together corporately. This is why I know that the church is meant for engaging other individuals. Paul says, listen, I've written to you. I've heard about you. Now I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to hug you. I can't wait to share in fellowship with you. Paul wanted them to know, first and foremost, I've been praying for you constantly. Secondly, Paul wanted them to know that I long to see you fervently. But the third movement, Paul says, uh, uh, he wants them to know, so that we can have, watch this, 
a meaningful exchange spiritually. I want you to catch that. There was to be reciprocity in their relationship. Look at your text. In verse 11, Paul says, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, watch this, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine, and exchange spiritually. I love how Paul lays this out. And essentially, Paul is saying this. Listen, I want you to know a few things. I've been praying for you constantly. I long to see you fervently so that we can have a meaningful exchange spiritually. Paul is essentially saying, listen, I want to go to the church in Rome so that we can have some church. I like that by myself. Paul says, watch this. Paul wants to go to church so that they can have some church. And Paul does not want them to miss this huge point. Here is, watch this. Paul wants them to do what he wants them to do. Look at verse 13. Paul says, now I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, but, watch this, I often plan to come to you but was prevented until now in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. Verse 14, I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also in Rome. What does Paul want to do upon arrival? Here it is. Paul is saying, I was held up so my ministry could blow up. I'm preaching to myself, but soon, beloved, I'm going to show up. Oh, greater Bethlehem, that's really my word for y'all. Yeah, I, I've been held up. I have not been able to make your acquaintance for months, but I need you to know that we are coming back together. I need you to know that when God permits it, when his will is, is permissive to it, we're going to get back together and we're going to blow up. Paul wants to go to the church in Rome, watch this, so that he can preach the gospel. Oh, don't miss that, beloved. Don't, don't, don't miss that. Here it is. Oh, saved folk need the gospel. Oh, God, you preaching up in here, Pastor Brown. Saved folk need the gospel. Paul is looking forward to more fruitful ministry among them. He's been favored to be God's mouthpiece. He's been held up to blow up. And now he longs to hang out in Rome among the faithful believers there so that the gospel can be proclaimed among them and throughout Rome. See, understand this. The gospel is for non-believers and believers. Non-believers need to know that Jesus saves, that the Lord Jesus will lead them from sin. Believers need to be reminded daily that Jesus saved, mm, that he keeps us from sin. Let me say that one more time. Non-believers need to know that Jesus saves. Believers need to be reminded daily that Jesus saved. Oh, when we have the gospel at the forefront of our being on a daily basis, for the believer, it'll help us to keep a proper perspective of sin. 
Just imagine if you, in your moment of temptation, were reminded of Jesus hanging on an old rugged cross. Just imagine what the vision of that could have done. Hmm, believers need to be reminded daily that Jesus saved. So the church in Rome was saturated with the gospel. They had a Christocentric perspective about who they were and about what they were called to do. I'm almost finished. Y'all stay with me. It's a little while longer. So, see, if we are not careful, church, we can become distracted. Distracted by programs and events. Distracted by clubs and cliques. Distracted by activities and proclivities. More than every now and then, we should hear both from the pulpit and from the pew, from the children's ministry to the youth ministry, from the married to the singles, from the silver stars to the young adults, that he died. Oh, the old preachers say, didn't he die? He died to pay the price for our indebtedness. He died to bridge the gulf for our spiritual separation. He died to set the captives free. He died so that we might live. I'm preaching to myself up in here, but the scripture also affirms that he did not stay dead because on the third day he rose with all power in his hand. Holy Ghost power. Is there a witness in the house that can testify that the power is real? Power to make you walk right. Power to make you talk right. Power that'll take a crooked stick and hit a straight lick. Somebody yell out, power! Oh, God, my, my pastor, Dr. Patterson, would say, oh, 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 power! I'm feeling this by myself, church. More than every now and then, we need to be reminded that he died. Paul says in verse 16, we're almost finished. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live Woo, by faith. Paul, Paul in our text, Paul, this gospel globe tried to Paul was about that gospel life. Not only did he feel obligated to preach it, verse 14, Paul says, I'm obligated. He was eager to preach it, verse 15. So I'm eager, but that's not all, but even greater than all of that. He felt unashamed to preach it. Verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul was about that gospel life. And so, beloved, here comes the challenge for the believers, the challenge for the church. We have to get in alignment with where Paul was in proximity to the gospel. We have to be in alignment with how the church in Rome handled their new faith. Listen. We are obligated to proclaim the gospel. And as a result, we should be eager and unashamed to do so. Watch this. Every chance that we get. Let me come down your block for just a little while. So it says in verse 17, for in it is the righteousness of God. 
For in it the righteousness of God is revealed, there it is, from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I'm going to give you a subset of principles here, and I'm going to let you go. The first thing I want you to see is the gospel has power to save. The gospel has power to save. So it doesn't, doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done. The world needs to know and hear on a regular basis that the gospel has power to save. But that's not the gospel reveals the righteousness of God toward man. We are imputed. We receive righteousness by grace through faith. All that means is we are made right in the eyes of God. But then he says the gospel is received by faith. But there is a clause. It says there, to everyone who believes. And I don't know what you think. Pastor Brown, I've heard that story a million times. I received salvation back in vacation Bible school in 62. I get all of that. But oftentimes we can become so far removed from the gospel. And church, that is the danger or the challenge for any church. To be so far removed from the story that really makes the difference. So, Greater Bethlehem, we must be intentional in how we uphold the gospel throughout the fabric of our church. The gospel is what Jesus did. And so the more we drift or become distracted in our message and our methods, we then gravitate to what we do. Let me say that one more time. The gospel is what Jesus did. But when we become distracted, we then shift and gravitate to focus upon what we do. When we are committed to the gospel, we then are able to be more effective at making disciples. And I submit to you that discipleship works in tandem with the gospel. And one of the areas that I want us to reimagine is that we will fully be committed to making disciples. Not just growing the church numerically, but ensuring that people hear the gospel on a weekly basis. And that in so doing, they can experience what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus Christ. Y'all know I ain't finished that fast. Hold on with me. Give me maybe three points. I'm going to let you go. Got to give you some application. Application is so important. Real quickly, the first is church. Talking to everyone here, get these three points. Number one, we must speak the gospel. Every chance Paul got, he told the world that Jesus did what he did. He told the world what Jesus did and also what Jesus did to him, for him, and ultimately for them. And we have to speak the gospel. No self-help. Gospel. Not only speak the gospel, secondly, stay close to the gospel. Amen. Stay close to the gospel. Ministry leaders, as we reimagine, let's ensure that all we do rests upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's ensure that we point our community to Jesus in our conversation, in our lifestyle, both in our love and in our service 
to them, stand, stay close rather, to the gospel. I've actually mixed my points up, so I'm going to wrap it up in, in this creative way. Because I began by saying we ought to speak the gospel, we ought to stay close to the gospel. And by that I should have said, we can teach on marriage, relationships, singleness, parenting, finances, and all of that while staying close to the gospel. In fact, how much better would our marriages be if we lived with our spouses in light of the gospel? That was the second point, as we stay close to the gospel. The third point is to stand upon the gospel. That's why I'm coming to the ministry leaders again. So as we reimagine, as we as we revision, let's ensure that all we do rests upon the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Let's ensure that we point our community to Jesus in our conversation, in our lifestyle, both in our love and in our service to them. Three points, y'all, real simple. Speak the gospel. Stay close to the gospel. Stand upon the gospel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not weird, but it is peculiar. And that's what we're called to be, peculiar people. This is what sets us apart from other churches because we're making a choice to impact the kingdom of God here on earth. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for the challenge that each of us as followers of Christ must embrace to establish a gospel-centered church and ministry. Father, help us in faith to gravitate toward the gospel more in our interaction with others. Help us as believers to live with the gospel in mind every single day. Father, may we spend time reviewing the gospel in the gospels. Father, may we be so immersed in the gospel that it becomes a part of who we are. May our ministries and, and our programs be centered upon Jesus and him crucified. We love you, Father. We thank you for this moment. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let everyone say amen. Come on, give God a little praise right there. Come on, I tell you, we're going to hold you long. Come on, give God a little praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me sip a little water here. Come on. Mm -mm -mm. So here's an opportunity for you to receive the gospel right now. Pastor, I don't know what that all means. You don't have to understand it fully. But one thing I want you to know is, well, a few things I want you to know is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Secondly, I need you to know that we're all sinful. Listen, it's not your fault, but it is your problem. You inherited it. It was given to you. And as a result, you have to do something about that. And know that, listen, Jesus Christ is the only provision for that sinfulness. He's the only payment. He's the only debt collector. Amen, somebody. But you must individually receive his free gift. It's not performance. You don't work to earn it. As a matter of fact, if you could earn it, it wouldn't be worth anything. We're all sinful. We all must deal with our sin. So I want to challenge you. I'm going to say this little prayer that I prayed 30-some-odd years ago. And it simply says, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I open up the door of my heart and I receive you as my Savior 
And Lord, come into my heart. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. According to your word, I am saved. It's not about emotion. It's about faith. Here's a number I want to give you, 972-638-9554. We are waiting just to hear from you. You can just text something, I want to hear more about the gospel, or I want someone to pray with me that I would receive salvation. That's it. And allow us to serve you in this capacity. I'm going to pray one more time. Father, I lift up my brother, my sister right now, whoever's listening, watching, that you would touch their hearts, that your spirit would penetrate their hearts and remind them or inform them rather that you are God. Besides you, there is none other. Father, please touch as only you can. May they be receptive to the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Come on, give God a little praise right there. Come on, give God some praise. My brother, my sister, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that you would make that decision today. Now, it is now time for the offering. Woo! Glory to God in the highest. Now, y'all, I'm, I'm smiling through my tears. Amen. I'm smiling through my tears. We have hit the summer slump, and every time a preacher talk about money, folks start turning him off. It's all good. Scripture talks about money. I'm going to talk about money. Church, GBBC, listen, we need you to, to uh, be committed to your giving. And that's, that's all I'm going to say. Be committed to your giving and, and ensure that you're putting God first. And listen, I know all of us are going through some difficulties and things are a little different. So we, we're not going to trip. But uh, I want to challenge you to honor your commitments as members of this church and to give accordingly. Uh, we got four ways you can give. You can give online, you can text it, you can text us, and we'll come pick it up, or you can just drop it off in the mail slot. It's all good. Whatever fits your giving, please do that. But I ask for your committedness and your consistency. Watch this. It's time for the offering. Praise the Lord. Now we're ready for our announcements.